when you've had a premature baby who have had a lot of medical complications, this is just one more really difficult challenge that uh, you probably weren't prepared for. That was Kelly Kelly, the founder of Hand to Hold, a nonprofit that helps families before, during, and after a NICU stay, also with infant loss, by providing resources and one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And she's one of our guests on today's AFPA Patient Access Podcast. I'm Susan Hepworth. Kelly, Sue, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today on AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. We're so glad to have both the clinical and the parent perspective presented on today's podcast, so welcome. So glad to be here. Thank you for asking. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about feeding challenges. Now that's a topic that many may not be very familiar with. You know, I think people often think that when a baby is born, he or she just automatically knows how to feed, but that isn't always the case, especially for babies who are affectionately called immature feeders. And we're going to talk about those today. You work with these families um, all day, every day. You, in fact, yourself have had two preemies who have probably experienced some type of a feeding challenge as well. So I'd just like to hear from you about the impact that this has on families. Absolutely. I mean, I think we think of feeding our baby as something very natural, you know, uh, when we're planning uh, before the birth and that, you know, we're either going to bottle or breastfeed and it's just kind of a given that, you know, that's something very natural that the, the mother and the father, our partner, will participate in. So when you've had a premature baby who have had a lot of medical complications, this is just one more really difficult challenge that uh, you probably weren't prepared for. And uh, it can, like you said, add another level of difficulty to your NICU journey. I would ask this next little thing for both of you, Kelly and Sue, if you had to kind of ballpark a number of, of parents who end up with a baby in the NICU, what do you think their awareness level is of feeding challenges? Do you think anybody knows that it's even going to be a problem until it's, it's brought up by the clinicians in the hospital? I certainly didn't think about it. I mean, um, my baby was just a pound and a half. Uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, understood I couldn't hold him, so therefore I would not be breastfeeding him. I was told about how important it was to pump breast milk for him, um, and so I knew that he would be receiving that milk through a tube, uh, but, you know, in the beginning, not really understanding how do we transfer from being tube fed to eventually being bottle fed and in our case um, we were able to finally breastfeed but it was um, many many months after he came home from the hospital so certainly not anything I had planned for or expected and uh, you know I think it was a learning process. Sue you've you've worked in these hospitals in these NICUs do you think parents are aware that there could be this potential problem or it's, you know, totally new to them when the doctor or the nurse brings it up? My experience has been that, that parents are not prepared for that at all. Um, I think in the beginning, like Kelly was saying, especially if your baby's born 
significantly prematurely, you are worried about survival. And so it can be that even as professional caregivers, the subject of, of how this how your child is going to eat by mouth may not be breached for a while. And that's that's our problem as professionals. Uh, we need to bring it up, you know, earlier just as, as the concept or letting parents know how what to expect in the future, you know, after we get through the roller coaster of of survival in the beginning and, and these other things that you know start preparing both the infant uh, with how we care for them that hopefully will better prepare them for eating, but also preparing the parents. So Sue, I want to keep it here with you. You know, what then happens when the baby is able to feed and go home? It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the coast is clear and everything is perfect. I know there's a lot of other things that can impact um, what happens to the baby once they are discharged and they sort of have mastered the feeding while they were in the NICU. So can you kind of talk us through what happens after they go home? Yeah, so when, you know, a baby does have to be gaining weight and be taking all of their feedings by mouth, or there has to be a, a, another system ready to roll um, if that isn't working out for the family and the baby. Um, but either way, when the when the baby goes home, uh, really the, the parents have to be, you know, totally prepared, we have to help them be prepared to be the expert feeder of their baby so that they do, uh, while they're in the hospital, so that when they are home, they can, you know, recognize signs of their, any changes in their infant related to feeding or any signs that their infant is not progressing with, with oral feeding in the way that would be expected so that if there are in fact kind of lingering feeding issues or significant feeding issues that arise that they are equipped to to recognize like hey this this isn't going how how I was taught to expect and I need to reach out to a, my pediatrician or uh, my baby needs follow-up you know uh, occupational speech therapy after discharge for feeding you know there there are lots of services available but I don't think they're the system readily prepares families for what to do in that situation. Yeah, Kelly, that sounds like it would be very stressful for parents knowing that they then have to be the expert once they leave the NICU and are at home. And it may you know, be that they can't leave their baby with other people who haven't practiced you know, feeding the baby. So can you kind of talk about the stress that that puts on families? Absolutely. And I, I do believe that it is quite stressful uh, because often when we go home, you know, we don't have the same monitors uh, monitoring our baby's breathing and if there's any apnea. So once we go home and we're not surrounded by our expert caregivers and it's, it's solely reliant on us um, to take care of our medically fragile babies, uh, it can be quite anxiety ridden. Uh, if you think back to when you brought home your full term newborn and just how anxious you probably were about meeting all of their needs as a new mom, I think that has escalated for us as NICU grad parents. I just about a year and a half ago had a nephew who was born um, quite prematurely as well. And um, it wasn't until I was talking to my brother and sister-in-law that I learned that it's the neonatal therapists really who are working so closely with these babies to try to help them to feed, which is why I think, you know, we asked Sue to be a part of this podcast because she 
um, is herself as a neonatal therapist. So I don't know, Sue, if there's anything you add to want to add to that, but I think it's interesting for people to understand that that's really who's helping these babies become good feeders. Yeah, I think it can be, uh, even in the NICU, it can be uh, confusing to parents. You know, if we have occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech pathology in the NICU, and many times parents think that that means something's wrong and that if we show up <laughs> and, uh, but that the real practice for neonatal therapists is mostly preventative in nature, meaning that we see, you know, a lot of babies, a huge percentage of infants who are in the NICU because most of them are at risk for just, you know, these issues with transitioning to feeding and, and we want to prevent a lot of things developmentally that, uh, we don't want to wait and see, uh, we want to prevent a lot of the developmental uh, problems that uh, are many of them that are preventable um, from the NICU. But then, yes, after discharge as well, uh, if, you know, and obviously in the NICU, it is a huge team effort between nursing and the physicians and the therapists and the parents. But after discharge, if, if in fact your baby does need some sort of feeding support, typically that would be with speech or occupational therapy in a type of feeding clinic or feeding outpatient feeding or um, home therapy, et cetera. And I think back, Susan, to your other question is about the impact long-term is, you know, if you have a, a baby that has, you know, feeding challenge, it is difficult to, to then say, oh, can you, you know, find a babysitter or to go back to work if you have to and find, you know, daycare of somebody who, you're going to trust with this feeding process that might be different from, you know, what a, a, you know, a typical healthy infant who's feeding well would need. And so it can pose a lot of, have a lot of ramifications for parents that are not well supported in society. And we have talked a little bit about some solutions, but I guess I want to just kind of reiterate um, a few of those. So Kelly, I would start with you. Well, I think, again, just the more that you're there, the more that you participate, I know it can be quite scary for parents. Um, we don't have, if we don't have medical backgrounds, haven't been in a medical setting before, uh, we really have to get our footing in the NICU. Um, but I think, you know, from the early stages of, you know, being there to, to talk to your baby and to do a comfort touch and before you can hold and then gradually you get to hold and then you're going to be involved in more of the care from diapering and then feeding. Sue, any any last minute thoughts on solutions from the clinician perspective? Uh, they're Sure, but they're very similar to Kelly's in that I think as soon as you can do skin to skin holding with your baby in the NICU, um, there are a multitude of things that are great about that for touch and feeding and nutrition and milk production and all of the above and and asking the caregivers if the professional caregivers if you can you know provide human touch while your baby is being fed by the tube even um, if that's what's happening so that we can start early pairing positive human touch with feeding from the very very beginning and um, that's very important. And then the only, and then all the way through, I just echo what Kelly said, but then also just knowing that it's not your fault. So I think as a parent, it, it's, um, 
easy. I mean, parents have told us over and over that they have this guilt of even having a baby in the NICU and feeding can be another layer of that. So I just want to say for the record, the, the feeding things are not your fault. You know, these are just things that go along with prematurity and uh, that most babies will get through and in and well, but uh, you are the most important component. I love that, Sue. I think it is so important. We deal with so many different layers of guilt and um, and disappointment of what we expected. And so feeding can just be another layer to that. So I just want to tell all of our listeners, if they want to find more information out about feeding challenges for premature infants, they can visit infanthealth.org. And right there on the homepage, you can check out a new resource that was recently released from the National Coalition for Infant Health that really explores what these challenges are. So um, I appreciate both of you sharing your valuable perspective today. And for those who have listened to the podcast in the the past, they know we typically end with a quick little lightning round. So each of you have just a few seconds to answer each of the following questions, and I will give them both to you at the same time. Um, So Kelly, you can answer first, and then Sue, you can go second, and then we'll just move to the next question. So this is just to get to know a little bit more about our podcast guest today. So the first question is, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner for a month, what would you pick? Kelly? As a good Southern girl, I think I have to say fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Okay. (laughs) Sue, how about you? Uh, This isn't even a meal, but I can make it one. I would say chips and guacamole. Oh, I do love guacamole. That's a good one. Okay. Second question. What is the most rewarding part about working in neonatal care? Kelly, we'll start with you again. Oh, I definitely think it's just knowing that I've helped another Nikki mom not feel alone. Okay. And Sue? I would say the opportunity to have a positive long-term effect on somebody's life. Okay. Now, another food question, and Sue, we'll start with you first on this one. What is your favorite pizza topping? I would say banana peppers. Okay. Kelly? Hamburger. Hamburger. All right. I'll throw mine in there. It would be pepperoni. Um, And then our last and final question in our lightning round is, as a kid, what did you dream about growing up to be? Kelly? I wanted to be a cruise director. I lo- I think I watched way too much Love Boat, but I thought uh, Julie's job looked really fun. So, All right. Well, you went a little bit of a different direction, but that's okay. <laughs> and Sue, how about you? Uh, I wanted to be a writer. So, And oh. Kelly, you would be the best cruise director ever. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm helping parents cruise through the NICU. How's that? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Kelly, Sue, thank you so much today um, for sharing your expertise on the topic of feeding challenges and being our guest on today's AFPA Patient Access Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.